Welcome back to another episode of the Atlanta Startup Podcast. I'm your host, William Leonard, and today I'm joined by Charles Robinson, who is the managing partner of 1888 Ventures. Based in Atlanta, the firm is focused on deploying capital outside of the major hubs with $250,000 to $500,000 checks. And today we had a great conversation with Charles about the 1888 investment strategy. We talked to Charles about his views of the world of VC from both his time as a founder to now his time as an investor. We talk about the power of relationships and serendipity and also why running a venture firm is actually like running multiple businesses in one. This was an amazing wide ranging conversation and I hope you all enjoy it. So let's jump right in. Charles, I am excited for the conversation today because we're going to talk about multiple things, including your experiences as an entrepreneur, building a startup, scaling that startup, and now your experiences as a fund manager. But I want to sort of level set the conversation here and have you maybe kick it off with a brief introduction about 1888, what the fund is, um, the origins of the fund, the types of companies you're investing in. And then I'm sure we'll dive into more about 1888 a little bit later in the conversation too. Good thing, brother. Um, so 1888, uh, we are a early stage uh, venture capital firm uh, that focuses on investing in emerging technology uh, that is outside of the major hubs, so outside of California and New York. But um, that's what we focus on. Um, our check sizes are between 250 and 500. Uh, we don't lead rounds. Um but yeah, definitely looking forward to meeting a lot of those uh, great entrepreneurs who have amazing uh, emerging technology ideas. Mm-hmm. And any particular areas that you all are focused on as a firm? Yeah. Are you pretty agnostic? Yeah, I mean, we, we have we have areas that we focus on um, generative AI, prop tech, fintech and sports tech. Uh, cybersecurity has been uh, come across my desk a lot. I mean, but it's one of those things where you know sometimes it goes over your head if you don't have the technical expertise. So we haven't really gotten any of those deals. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's probably the, the the biggest themes that you'll see. But within emerging tech, things pop up all the time. So I would consider myself very curious uh, for things that uh, come up more. But those are our key uh, themes. That makes sense. And I want to take the conversation back a bit now to dive into your background all the way from your Duke days to getting the idea for building a startup and then actually executing on that and and scaling the company as well. So I'll let you talk more about your prior experiences as a a builder of a startup. Yeah, man. So one of the key things that you probably, that that most of the folks is going to look uh, look at this and listen to this, they're going to see that everything at its core is based on relationships. So for me, you know, graduated from Duke, uh, worked in banking for almost two years, left, bounced around a little bit. Uh, my first startup experience was with a company called Vstrader. Uh, it's a telestration company. And I absolutely had no clue what I was doing. Like I was just running around like a chicken with my head cut off. And long story short, I was fired from that job because I was losing so much money in regards to the uh, the technology piece, but there was a silver lining in that. Uh, this guy, Jess Lipson, was a friend and mentor of mine. And, you know, he pushed me to, you know, start my own thing. And at, at first, 
you know, I, I really didn't want to do it, you know, because I didn't even, you know, growing up, I always thought entrepreneurs person that like sold cookies and candy apples and hustling, things like that. But, you know, one of my friends and close friends and brother, uh, we went to school together at Duke and played football together, hit me up uh, about Teamworks and uh, came on board to build that up and, and start that out. And, you know, since then, Teamworks has grown to close the Series E probably about six weeks ago at close to a half a billion dollar valuation. And the second company um, I started was Forward Cities. We built startup ecosystems throughout the country and really just trying to figure out ways that um, we can help a lot of these startup ecosystems. So that's essentially like the the, the quick rundown in my background and, and my story on how I got to my startup ecosystem days and tech days and all that jazz. Yeah. And you, I like how you started it out and really talked about the essence of relationships sort of being foundational to everything. And I would be curious to hear some of the parallels that you draw on from building a startup, building multiple startups to now translating that almost to building a venture fund and supporting startups through that fund with capital. What, what are some of the parallels that you're seeing as the leader here? Man, I will say it, it's one of those things where I couldn't have drawn it up any better. It's like, you know, DJ Khaled said, God did, you know what I mean? Like right. definitely said it. <laughs> Definitely set it up in a way where I couldn't have planned it any better way. But I will say as an investor, I have not just empathy. I know exactly what they're going through. You know, I know when the times at early stages, like see, pre-see, there's a lot of smoke screen and mirrors. And I just cut through it and say, hey, like nine times out of 10, most people are not going to care about this. But if you can actually focus on the engine of the business and show me like if dollars go through this way, that's going to come out this way and all of the intricacies that happen uh, within the business. I could speak to that with a lot of the founders. Um, also, a lot of the, the bottlenecks and hurdles that um, entrepreneurs run into um, when they uh, are trying to scale their business. I could be able to speak to that to kind of help them. And what I've noticed as well, you know, just being in the business uh, as a founder and now investor, you know, most startups fail uh, because of indigestion, not starvation. Mm. And uh, a lot of times, you know, these founders are looking for capital, like, oh man, we got to survive. But it's, it, there, there's a bottleneck there that's not allowing them to pass through either their uh, getting the sales of their customers or being able to cross over the finish line and converting um, at top line of a funnel with the sales, uh, customer success, not being able to, to keep people happy. Like those things are really what kills the company. So having that mindset, yeah. I can be able to see those triggers as an investor early on, which helps me mitigate some risk for my uh, LPs. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you talk about some of the bottlenecks that maybe you even, fa- you even faced as a founder. And now you're seeing some of the founders facing as you are diligencing and assessing their companies as well. What, what are some of the common bottlenecks that you've seen and have helped some founders really almost see around corners to avoid hurdles to maybe set them back, you know, two, four, six months in a potential sales process or or something along those lines? Great question, bro. So like I would put this as number one for what I've seen most with uh early stage companies, especially the ones, you know, 
Series A and less um, is not having a good grasp on it. And uh, the big thing that I've noticed is I understand the smoke screen mirror piece that you got to try and figure out to kind of give a little bit of sizzle to kind of sell the deal and things like that. That always happens. But the numbers will never lie. Mm -hmm. And the difficult part is when you start to get too ahead of your skis and you don't realize that it doesn't match up when it comes to an investor coming to your business, looking to ask those detailed questions. Those are the pieces where I can kind of navigate for the entrepreneur and in the pieces where I think most entrepreneurs, if they can get a grasp on their numbers, even if they don't make a lot of money, right, mm -hmm. they clearly can define what is their average deal size? What is their burn rate? What is their uh, lifetime value? What is the customer acquisition cost? All of these different things that, you know, at its basic level is very easy to keep track of. Right. But once you start getting into like, the shooting for the stars and all those things and, and you're not keeping track of it at each step that's where you lose so that's one piece mm -hmm. i think uh is is one that that founders run into and then the other one is uh when it comes to sales specifically go to market if you're really early um i think there's a misconception for what the market is actually looking for versus what you think the idea is actually causing traction so I think there's there's a gap sometimes between the traction that you've had in, your, in the vacuum of your business and then the traction that the market is actually providing and being able to test it out through trials, testing it out through early alpha customers uh, or beta customers. If you're selling like uh, products, those are like the two predominant things that I see with founders early. Yeah, you really touch on customer discovery and go to market. I think that's the most important thing because you want to move forward and you want to move in the right direction. It doesn't matter how fast you go. And I think we see a lot of that at the pre-seed stage and even seed stage sometimes as founders there, you know, they have customers, they've got revenue, but they've got seven to eight different ideal customer profiles that they're monetizing through. And I think it's a factor of, where do you want to focus at to scale and nail it? Pick a vertical and nail it. Pick an IC, exactly. nail it. And so I think that's that's really good advice. People, it's easy once you start saying, hey, yeah, I've got five customers there, five <laughs> verticals. Right. You've got revenue, you've got traction, but a lot of most VCs are wanting to see pattern recognition in a particular yeah. vertical. Um, and that's going to give you real insight into the repeatable scalable sales process that can take place as a result of monetizing within one vertical there. So that's great. Insight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you hit it on the head, man. Uh, the thing that, that most entrepreneurs have to understand, if you're looking for investor capital, now we're talking about investor capital, like mm -hmm. there are different forms of capital and, and there, there's more than enough resources out there who you can find different um, sources of capital. We're talking about investor capital. The idea of having these multiple streams and not a very clear understanding of what you're nailing, I consider that more of a hustle than a business. And, you know, a lot of times, again, at the early stage, there's a confusion of trying to build an enterprise versus having a business that's just a lifestyle business or a business that spends off a certain amount of revenue each year. And sometimes like, hey, I got these stream income, like direct to consumer. Like I got also got some enterprise SaaS and, 
It's all over the place and it's very difficult for an investor to feel comfortable and you can't nail that niche. So I appreciate that, uh, that emphasis you put. Yeah, 100%. I mean, as a VC is evaluating investment in a particular startup, they're, they're looking to underwrite a deal and they're typically underwriting the existing traction that you have and some of the future traction that they anticipate that you will have based off of your financial model. And, you know, if you've got inconsistent customer streams and revenue streams, it's difficult, very difficult to underwrite that opportunity to have a venture scale outcome because you don't know what direction this company this yeah. company would go in. So I think we could talk about that all day. But Charles, as you sort of think about now 2023 building 1888, we, we talked about this before uh we got on the podcast, how running a venture firm is basically like running multiple businesses in one. Unpack that for us a bit and and how you are running 1888 today. Yeah, man, it is a grind, grind in the app. I tell you, uh, I was talking to Omari. I think there's similar friends of ours. Uh, they're part of like the ATV group. But the, the thing is, VCs and entrepreneurs are very similar. Um, you know, we still have to have a data room. We still have to be able to show our traction. We still have to be able to show team and 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 what what our skill sets bring to it we still have to have a thesis around the the reason why we're going for it so a lot of the similarity with entrepreneurs and vcs are very close the part where i think where you mentioned it, multiple businesses is spot on is because the very thing that you're thinking of as an entrepreneur that's like one track right but as a vc you have to be able to have multiple tracks and currently what I'm going through right now through 1888 and setting up the data room is you have institutional investors, you have pension funds, you have high net worth individuals, uh, you have a, a plethora of options that you have to speak to that's separate in each category when you're raising, uh, when you're going to raise funds. That's one part of the business. Other part of the business is being able to find deal flow. So now you're on sales hat. You got to put that on, be able to get in the rooms get access to the quality deals and be able to make sure that you get an allocation versus the set of other folks. And that's one part of that. Then you have the team hat, being able to manage the operations of the business. So making sure that um, as these deals are coming through, you're notifying your investors, uh, quarterly reports or annual, annual reports, all of the different things that you have in these different categories, you're doing it all in one, in one fund. So multiple businesses, is definitely the type of things that, that we're going through right now. Yeah. And, you know, as an emerging manager, we we hear a lot about it online. Uh, and shout out to Samir Kaji. He has a really great podcast tailored towards emerging managers. But really outside of him, we don't get a lot of the inner workings of what it's like being an emerging fund manager and the, the hurdles and the wins and the successes and the losses that you all experience when trying to fundraise, what, what what insights can you share for maybe other emerging managers? That's not financial advice, but more so just general, yeah, advice around grinding and, and takeaways and, and things that can short circuit and, and augment their processes. Man, one, it takes community. 
man, that that hands down is the 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 ultimate thing you could do as an emerging manager. I mean, my friends are top notch, you know, like yourself, Will, Dehavia, uh, Rashawn, Martin, Henri from Harlem Capital, Charles Hudson. When I say if you really want to circumvent a lot of the things that you want to do, don't do it alone. You got to hit up those friends. Don't be afraid to ask the questions, even if you think it makes you sound dumb. Like ask those questions. Get ahead of it now, because if you don't, a lot of times and I always use like sports analogies, like if you strike out in, in, in front of certain LPs, you go on the dugout for a long time. And you may not be able to get an opportunity in time for you to get that LP back on on the docket for you in regards to raising capital. Also, when it comes to getting access to relationships and networks, as an emerging manager, you may not have the same amount of nepotism or access to a network or a room that others may have access to. So you got to be able to leverage those uh, relationships as well to be able to say, hey, man, is it possible you can get me in this room? Or, hey, is it possible that I can help you be as uh, good as possible in whatever that I can serve you? So, for example, with our relationship, like I'm like, hey, bro, whatever you need for the, hey, bro, I need you for a judge. You got me Um, whenever uh, I have to come into this podcast. You got me like all of those things that we have together as an emerging manager. Those are the things I think that you could definitely leverage is leveraging that community. Um, we have, you know, a text group where we share different resources and things like that. As we ask different questions, uh, leverage the fact that you can get in certain uh, rooms and networks and dinners and things like that. And then ask the questions about conferences, going to those places, being able to exchange cards. You're going to have to hustle and grind outside of your geography. So that's one of the things as an emerging manager is like you got to go hard and paint. Yeah, yeah, that's so true, man. I think the the bit about community is so important. I think that's important for everyone in venture, um, but especially the emerging manager community as well. So and, you know, Charles, as we wrap up this conversation here, you are a North Carolina guy. Um, what I, I think you you touched on this earlier, but it sounds like relationships really brought you to Atlanta. What, what and how have you seen the city and the startup and VC ecosystem evolve since you've moved here? And, and are there any similarities or parallels or even differences that are highly distinct between the Raleigh-Durham scene and the Atlanta scene? Because Raleigh-Durham is really bubbling up. Shout out to uh, co-founders capital out there. And yeah funds as well. But, you know, two different cities. What are you seeing in terms of parallels or distinct differences? Well, small world. I didn't know you knew co-founders, Cap. Man, you. Hey, Williams, good everywhere in these streets. I love it. But uh, so I will say a couple of questions that you asked that I want to answer. First, Atlanta ecosystem in comparison to Raleigh-Durham. That's one. And then two, just Atlanta in its own right. And just kind of speaking to that. So I think there are a lot of similarities in that, you know, Durham is really starting to, you know, bubble up a lot of really dope startups, you know, and I'm, and it's not their first rodeo, mostly because Duke being there in Durham and a lot of folks coming out of Duke come back to give either through building, you know, commercial real estate deals in, in Durham. Google for startups is there now. Um, there's a lot of like corporate 
folks coming into the city, which is bringing more talent, which is creating more opportunities. Obviously, you know, the price is going up um, as well. So I think there's the similarities in Atlanta where a lot of corporations are coming in, more talent is coming in. So you're going to see that. I will say specifically to the Atlanta ecosystem, one thing I love about Atlanta, which is uh, also I would consider a gift and a curse, is that you're very, Atlanta is very collaborative. The opportunity we have right now is that we're collaborative within our own silo. So one of the things that I try to do is to disrupt as much as I possibly can and, and cross as many barriers as possible. And I can do that just like you can do that, Will. It's like we have the skill sets, we have the pedigree, we have the relationships to kind of blend the lines from the spectrum of who we are. And a lot of people don't even know the spectrum of who we really are. but the thing is in Atlanta is, is that if, if you if you haven't been afforded that opportunity to make those jumps and bridges um, between those different ecosystems, you will never know. Like I literally was talking to somebody yesterday. They didn't even know what engage was um, and or in depth, but they're in the startup ecosystem. And I would consider them extremely talented, extremely smart entrepreneurs. But if they don't have access to those rooms or don't have access to even know what that's about, couple things happen. One, they can't compete at their highest level because they don't know all the competitors uh, that are in the room. Yeah. Um, two, there are investors that may miss out on opportunities to invest in these founders who are just like flying under the radar. Um, but three, the beauty of Atlanta kind of circling it back to the positive side is we're working towards it. Conversations like these, podcasts like yours are where I believe Atlanta really is you know, a space where anybody can come and thrive. I've only been here for almost two years. I haven't even been here two years yet. Yep. And I feel like I've I've been pulled in and uh, been championed, you know, by all of my friends and, and people that have my back and give me the resources necessary to thrive and be successful um, here in Atlanta. So I think that's what Atlanta has going for itself um, to be, you know, top five uh, in the capital markets, um, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there with all sentiments there, because Atlanta is, I would say, one of the most, if not the most diverse city in the nation. Hands down. Yes. And the opportunities that are here within the startup ecosystem, the corporate ecosystem, you've got the the university system that is here. Mm, that's a good point. Yep. And the private company ecosystem here as well. I mean, there is just so much opportunity for innovation and collaboration. And then you've got the programs like Engage, Endeavor, Startup Runway, Google for Startups to really be here and serve as a resource and a true foundational layer for the earliest stage of founders. I think that that's what differentiates Atlanta from a lot of the other ecosystems out there. And I think that's why Atlanta is going to win. I'm bullish, Atlanta. I need hey. to get that. Or a shirt or something that says <laughs> long Atlanta, because I am, I know you are, and mm -hmm. there's just a ton of dollars that are going to be flowing here over the next decade from LPs, from institutions, from corporates. And the more venture funds that we can get here, the better the ecosystem is to be. Point blank. 100%. Period. Point, blank. Point blank period, man. And I think you nailed it on the head too. It's like 
The other part is if if we're not tight as a community when the capital does come in, it's just going to bifurcate us. Even. So that's the opportunity. And I, and, and I think the folks that are here now are up for the challenge and they're making stuff happen. And like I said, we have so much talent here. It's just it's crazy. So excited yeah. for what that's going to be. Yeah. And Charles, I appreciate your time, man. How can founders who are listening to the podcast today get in touch with you or someone yes. at the 1888 team for potential investment? Well, yeah. So right now, how I'm able to connect with folks uh, through these uh, mediums is through Twitter. Um, so 1888 Ventures um, on Twitter. And I've just been producing um, a lot of videos to talk a lot about this for founders through TikTok. Um, and then splicing that up and, and send that out so I can help more people who are navigating, you know, either from the founder stage to the early stage investor. So those are like the two areas. And obviously you can hit me up on LinkedIn, just Charles Robinson, managing partner at 1888. And, you know, that's those are the the main areas they can get in contact with. I love it. I love it, Charles. Well, I, I appreciate you a lot, man, for coming on this podcast and sharing the knowledge. I mean, you are a builder, an innovator, and I think you're going to have an amazing impact on the city of Atlanta, man. And let's, let's do it together. I'm excited, brother. Appreciate you, man. All right, Charles, take care. We're thrilled to have you as an Atlanta startup podcast listener. To help you get the most out of the experience, let me invite you to three insider opportunities from our host, Valor Ventures. First, Want to be a guest on this amazing show? Reach out to our booking team at atlantastartuppodcast.com. Click on booking. It's a no-brainer from there. Are you raising a seed round? Valor definitely wants to hear from you. Share your startup story at valor.vc forward slash pitch. Are you a woman or minority-led startup? Valor's sister program, the Startup Runway Foundation, gives away grants to promising startups led by underrepresented founders. The mission of the Startup Runway Foundation is connecting underrepresented founders to their first investors. Startup Runway finalists have raised over $40 million. See if you qualify for one of these amazing grants at startuprunway.org. You can also sign up for our next showcase for free there. Let me let you go today with a shout out to Startup Runway presenting sponsor, Cox Enterprises, and to our founding partners, American Family Institute, Truist, Georgia Power, Avanta Ventures, and Innovators Legal. These great organizations make Startup Runway possible. Thanks for listening today, and see you back next week.